0: this is Amy Hill. Thanks for tuning in to Amy on the Hill, a podcast born out of Jesus's teaching in Matthew chapter 5 verse 14, which says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be As I'm sure you know, you're listening to the podcast, Amy on the Hill. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I know there's a lot of other things you could be doing, other things to listen to, other things to watch, other things to read and consider, and so it's really a blessing to me that you're here participating in this podcast. So again, thank you. I always start us off each week by opening in prayer, and we're going to do that now. So let's take a minute and stop. If you're washing dishes, maybe turn off the sink for a moment. Some of you might be in a public place. Wherever you are, just prepare your heart for now and try to give your full attention here as we pause and pray. Lord God, we come to you in Jesus' holy name and we thank you for making a way for us to come. And we thank you for bringing us here in this moment. We ask, Lord, as we continue to study your word and the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that you would be glorified. We also ask that you would help us. Help us to come closer to the cross. Help us to see our need for the cross. Help us to see your great love demonstrated through the cross. Help us not to be immune or overly familiar with this biblical account, Father, I pray that we would all receive a fresh word through this study today. I pray that you would engage each one of our hearts, draw us close to you, God. Give us an increased love for you and a greater appreciation for the gift of our salvation. These are not truths that we should ever be able to get over. Help us to recognize the areas in our life where we need the gospel message today Maybe we're struggling with guilt. Let our downcast eyes uh, be lifted by the gospel. Maybe we're struggling with pride. Help us snuff it out with the gospel. God, if we're lonely, let the gospel fill our hearts with your ridiculously extravagant love for us. And if we're overwhelmed, God, please give us rest through the gospel. Wherever we find ourselves today, God, please help us to reset according to the message of the gospel. We thank you in advance for what you will do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so if this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. We're presently uh, coming close to finishing up a study of the Gospel of Mark, as well as a book entitled Jesus the King by author and pastor and teacher Timothy Keller. Many of the listeners of this podcast are reading along with us. This week we read Mark chapters 13 and 14 and out of Jesus the King we also read uh, chapters 13 and 14. But if you're new to the podcast you obviously haven't been reading along and I want to say to you that's okay. You definitely don't need to read along in order to benefit from our discussion. If, however, you are interested in checking out our reading schedule just to see where we are and what we've been reading, you can do that under the resources section of my website, amyonthehill.com. But again, don't worry about catching up uh, in the reading at this point. Uh, God willing, we will be having plenty of book studies in the future that you can kick off with us. But for now, just feel free to listen in and hopefully benefit from the discussion. Again, today we are going to be drawing our discussion from chapters 13 and 14 of the Gospel of Mark and chapters 13 and 14 of Jesus the King. So we're going to start off with chapter 13, which was entitled The Temple. And you'll remember uh, Jesus, in his second visit to the temple, entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. It says in Mark chapter 11, he overturned the tables of the money changers, And the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts and as he taught them he said is it not written my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations but you have made it a den of robbers and Keller taught us what Jesus was doing here was really shocking for two reasons the first reason it was shocking was because when Jesus said My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus was including the Gentiles, and Keller explained that at that time, the Jewish people believed when the Messiah showed up, he would purge the temple of foreigners. But again, instead, here, Jesus was acting as an advocate for all nations. Jesus said, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, for all people. And this was shocking. And secondly, the people were even more shocked because Jesus seemed to be overturning the sacrificial system. And today, I thought we could dig a little deeper into what that meant. I wanted us to start off with Romans chapter 6 verse 23, which teaches us that the wages of sin is death. Romans 6:23 says, "The wages of sin." Is death. What does that mean? That means the penalty for sin is death. The price for sin is death. The wages, the payoff of sin is death. Okay. Romans 3 23 teaches us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'll say that again. Romans three twenty three teaches us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Okay. So let's review that all have sinned and the penalty for sin is death. This is not good news so far, but remember the definition of gospel is good news. So we do have good news. What is that good news? Well, Do you all remember that uh, broken lamp analogy that Keller gave in our reading a couple of weeks back? It was in the chapter entitled The Turn, and if you listen to the podcast that week, you'll remember I said several years ago, God used that analogy in this book, Jesus the King, to help me uh, start practicing real forgiveness in my life. That had been a real struggle for me, especially when I was in the midst of Uh, Falling out with someone, you know, to forgive someone for something that was long past wasn't super hard for me, but to forgive someone for a fresh wound that they weren't even necessarily sorry about, that was really hard for me. And um, it's still hard for me. (laughs) Don't get it wrong. It's still very hard for me. But again, God used Keller's analogy here um, in this book, in the chapter entitled The Turn, to really uh, help me have. God's perspective on forgiveness. And so I'm gonna share that analogy again quickly just to refresh your memory. The analogy was that someone broke your $100 lamp and Keller explained, even if you forgave that person who broke your lamp, there's still a cost that's outstanding. Forgiveness doesn't magically bring back the lamp. The lamp must be paid for. Either the person who broke it will pay to replace it someone else will pay for it. Or you are going to pay uh, in the sense that either your, your lamp is going to be forever lost, or you're going to have to pay out of pocket uh, to replace it. So somebody has to pay. There's been a breach and somebody is going to have to pay the cost. Forgiveness isn't free. It costs us something. Okay, so let's jump back to those verses we read uh, in Romans all have sinned and the penalty for sin is death. Let's connect that with Keller's analogy. There's been a breach and someone will have to pay the cost. For thousands of years, uh, this payment was temporarily made by continually sacrificing animals. The penalty for sin was death. Remember? The penalty for sin is death. So the animals died yearly. Somebody died. The animals died yearly instead of people. But these animal sacrifices were only a temporary solution. Hebrews chapter 10 verses one through four explain this. It says the law could never by the same sacrifices continually offered year after year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise wouldn't the sacrifices have stopped being offered for the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's verse uh, four, Hebrews ten four. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Okay, so remember, all have sinned and the penalty for sin is death. There's been a breach and someone will have to pay the cost. The animal sacrifices were a temporary solution to that problem, but someone needed to make a more perfect atonement. Who could do that? Only someone who was without sin could do that only someone who didn't themselves owe this debt only in the words of john the baptist the lamb of god could take away the sins of the world and that is uh, john chapter 1 verse 29 only jesus could make a perfect atonement all have sinned and the penalty for sin is death there's been a breach and Jesus paid the cost. As we read previously, Romans 6:23 says, "For the wages of sin is death, but in its entirety. Romans 6:23 says, "For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so we've established that Jesus did indeed overturn the sacrificial system, and not just for the Jewish people, but for all nations to the ends of the earth. And this changed the temple forever. As I'm sure we all know, prior to Jesus, the temple was the place to meet with God. And as we've been learning, this could only be achieved through a strict sacrificial system. In our reading this week, we learned that only once per year on Yom Kippur, the high priest went behind the veil of the temple into the Holy of Holies. Again, the high priest was only able to go behind that veil once per year. And that was only after much ceremonial cleansing and only if he had a proper blood sacrifice. But when Jesus died on the cross, we learned that the veil covering the Holy of Holies was ripped from top to bottom. Listen to what it says in Mark chapter 15, verses 37 through 39. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. The veil covering the Holy of Holies was ripped from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top, from top down. God himself ripped that veil right in half. It was ripped from top down. And that's so significant because as we know, this means that Jesus' sacrifice completely and finally bridged the chasm of sin and death between God and man. The Holy of Holies was open The Holy of Holies was open to all people. And through Jesus, we can all have access to God. That means that access to God's not limited to the pastor at your church or your Bible study leader or your super spiritual friend who lives down the street. Through Jesus, we can all have access to God. Isn't that good news? We don't need a sacrifice. We don't need a mediator. Through Jesus, we can all have access to God. I wonder though, if any of you out there are thinking, what then becomes of the temple and what now is the function of priests? Okay, well, I first want us to consider what became of the temple. To do that, we'll read two verses together. First Corinthians chapter three, verse 16, and first Corinthians uh, chapter six, verse 19. First Corinthians chapter three, verse 16, says, Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. So what these verses are saying is that now we don't have to go to the temple to meet with God. The veil was torn from top to bottom. Now, when we're in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell within us. So our bodies have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. What then is the function of priests? Well, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says in the New Living Translation, And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. So we who have trusted Jesus Christ for our salvation, and those who have received the Holy Spirit of God, our bodies are now called the temple, and we are now called priests. To be clear, um, that doesn't mean that now we act as mediators of God to the people. There is no mediator needed other than Jesus. Hebrews 6.20 says that Jesus has become our high priest forever after the order of Machilzedek. So we don't act as mediators Uh, of God to the people. Instead, what we do is we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And uh, that's the English Standard Version of 1 Peter 2, 9. Again, the New Living Translation says um, that we can show others the goodness of God for he called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. The old temple and priesthood have been changed now we become the living breathing stones of the temple filled with the Holy Spirit of God who through our spiritual sacrifices or in other words through a life lived in step with the Holy Spirit we display the goodness of God to the world around us we help people to see God so that they will come to know God for themselves How cool is that? Okay, in chapter 14 of Jesus the King entitled The Feast, we learned more about the Passover meal. We learned that the Passover meal was done yearly. in remembrance of the jews miraculous exodus from egypt and this meal followed a very particular form keller explained that passover included four points represented by four glasses of wine and each of the four glasses of wine represented the four promises made by god in exodus chapter 6 verses 6 through 7 so For the sake of context, let's read those verses now. Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7 out of the New International Version. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from bringing slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Okay, so again, each of the four glasses of wine in the Passover represented the four promises made by God in these verses that we just read from Exodus. Uh, So let's break that down. As I understand it, the first glass of wine Represented God's promise to rescue his people from Egypt. Uh, I am the Lord your God and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So that's found in verse 6. The second glass of wine represented God's promise to free his people from slavery. I will free you from being slaves to them. That's also in verse 6. The third glass of wine represented God's promise to redeem by divine power. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. That's also in verse 6. And the fourth glass of wine represented a renewed relationship with God. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. That's found in verse 7. Okay, so in the four cups of Passover, God is saying, I will bring you out cup 1 I will deliver you from slavery cup 2 I will redeem you cup 3 and I will take you as my people cup 4 okay so I thought as we considered the feast this week rather than just going through everything Keller already taught us we could break down uh, a little more of how this Passover meal may have gone down between Jesus and his disciples I do want to let you know that most of what I'm going to share with you here I learned from one of my favorite teachers, uh, Beth Moore. I believe uh, I got this from a talk that she gave at a passion conference several years ago, but I'm not 100% sure if that is where I got this information from. I actually worked through this Tim Keller book that we're working through together now. I worked through this book years ago with a group of ladies and when we when we got to this chapter um years ago i dug around and took all kinds of notes from either a bethmore bible study or a bethmore talk i was thinking maybe it was a passion conference um i was able to dig up the notes uh, to teach from again today but again i'm not a hundred percent sure where uh, beth taught this i am 100 percent sure that i got this from her though. So, okay, let's, let's walk through it. And if you have any questions, you might have to ask Beth more, um, because seriously, uh, I think this stuff is super interesting. That's why I want to share it with you, but it's still not entirely familiar to me. Uh, I'm still sort of learning this alongside of you. So, uh, any grace, you want to throw my way right now, I really appreciate that. But, but let's see what we can uh, figure out. Okay. So, Um, If Jesus and his disciples followed tradition, uh, they would have gathered around the table for this Passover meal at sundown, and Jesus would have taken uh, the father role in the observance. If you remember, uh, Tim Keller explained to us that um, there was a presider who would get up and explain the feast's meaning as they kind of walked through these four uh, glasses of wine so uh, Jesus would have taken uh, that role in the observance and um, he would have poured the first cup of wine which again we uh, just learned that that was the uh, that symbolized the Jews rescue from Egypt it was the cup that meant I will bring you out Um, So he would have poured that first cup of wine and he would have asked everyone to rise. So um, even if you're already standing, just think about standing. If you're sitting, if you're not driving, maybe stand up just for a minute. Just stand up, enter into this with us for a minute just to get a visual picture. Okay, this first glass of wine is poured. Jesus would have asked everyone to stand up, and he would have lifted the cup toward heaven. And then he would have recited the Kiddush, which is a prayer of sanctification, which would have included either these words or something very close. I'm going to read for you what I have here. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who createst the fruit of the vine, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, who hast chosen us for thy service from among the nations. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has kept us in life, who hast preserved us, and hast enabled us to reach this season. Uh, They would have then observed a ceremonial washing, and they would have broken unleavened bread okay so that was the first cup Uh, at this point in the meal jesus would have poured the second cup and narrated the story of israel's exodus in response to questions in exodus chapter 12 verses 26 through 27 it says and when your children say to you what does this rite mean to you you shall say it is a passover sacrifice to the lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but spared our homes. And so um, during the Passover meal, the youngest person at the table would ask uh, these questions. And then the person uh, who took on the father role in this instance, that would have been Jesus would reply uh, by answering these questions. I believe uh, the youngest person at, this meal would have been John Um, and so John would have been asking these questions and Jesus would have been answering and this is I'm kinda going off on my own here this was not from Beth or if she did teach about this I don't have this in my notes but I researched this myself today Uh, it seems that the four questions were are these uh, on all other nights we eat bread or matzah while on this night we eat only matzah Uh, the second on all other nights we eat all kinds of vegetables and herbs, but on this night we have to eat bitter herbs. The third question was on all other nights we don't dip our vegetables in salt water, but on this night we dip them twice. And then the fourth question um, was on all other nights um, we eat meat which has been roasted, stewed, or boiled, but on this night we eat only roasted meat. Um, after the destruction of the temple from what I understand that fourth question was changed now um, it says on all other nights we eat while sitting upright but on this night we eat reclining so Jews today would not say on all other nights we eat meat which has been roasted stewed or boiled but on this night we eat only roasted meat Um, that has been changed but in Jesus's day that is what they would have said And then there was an explanation and a going through and an explaining of the Passover meal and why things were symbolic for what God had accomplished through uh, the Exodus. And so there would have been a meal eaten at this point uh, between uh, the second and third cups. Now, you'll remember from our reading this week that Tim Keller suggested that there was no, uh, possibly no, actual lamb on the passover table here um, when jesus and his disciples um, had this this meal together i want to point out that it doesn't say explicitly in the bible that there was no lamb but keller is right that a lamb is not uh, specifically mentioned so if it's true that there was no lamb, that would be fascinating and it would also make sense because as john the baptist foretold jesus was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Likewise, uh, the prophet Isaiah foretold of Jesus in Isaiah 53, over 700 years before Jesus' birth. It's in a passage of scripture that's often referred to as the mysterious suffering servant. And I'm going to read a portion of it for you now because it really is uh, pretty amazing. Again, this was written... Uh, Long before Jesus was even born. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep. Before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer, And he was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Isn't that amazing? And so Keller seems to be inclined to believe that no lamb is mentioned in the biblical account because there was no lamb on the table. The lamb of God was at the table. Jesus was the lamb of God and he was the one. Uh, who was going to take away the sins of the world. At this point in the Passover, it was time for the third cup, the cup of redemption. And again, the cup of redemption represented God's promise. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. We see the account of this part of the feast in Mark chapter 14, verses 22 through 25, which say, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Okay, so why, when Jesus gave his disciples the cup of redemption, why did he change it up and now tell them this wine represented his blood? Why did he break bread and say, take, this is my body? Why did he say, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many? I recently... Listen to a message entitled The Lord's Supper by R.C. Sproul. And in that message, R.C. explained this by saying, I believe that was the birthday of the Christian church in the upper room when Jesus initiated and instituted a new covenant. But the new covenant would still have to be ratified because covenants in antiquity had to be ratified in blood. Did you catch that in doing this? Jesus was initiating and instituting a new covenant, but the new covenant would still have to be ratified because covenants in antiquity had to be ratified in blood. Jesus was telling his disciples that he was going to pour out his own blood for us. Jesus's blood was the blood of the new covenant. In Luke chapter 22, verse 19, We're told that when Jesus broke the bread and gave the wine, Jesus told his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. Most of you listening are probably familiar with the practice of communion. Most Christians practice communion regularly. Most Christians do not regularly celebrate the Passover, though many have participated in Passover meals on occasion. I have personally had the privilege of participating in several passover feasts and have actually been invited to my first passover hosted by a jewish family this year which i'm really excited about but um most christians no longer celebrate the passover feast regularly instead we regularly participate in communion and again interestingly we now know that the cup that we take in communion is the fulfillment of God's promise of redemption. It's the fulfillment of the third cup of the four cups representing God's promises in the Passover feast. So there's the connection there. Um, it's, and for me, I don't know about you, but I just, I find that fascinating. Next week, we're actually going to discuss this third cup a little further. One of the chapters we're reading next week is entitled The Cup, and Keller gets into... More of what this meant, that Jesus became the cup who with outstretched arms died on the cross and poured out his blood for our redemption. Jesus' blood is the cup of redemption. And again, we're going to consider this further next week, but as we conclude this week, uh, and as we consider the fourth cup of the Passover, it seems, according to scripture, that Jesus and his disciples did not partake Of the fourth cup remember the fourth cup is the promise of the renewed relationship with God the promise of God that I will take you as my people but again it seems that Jesus did not partake of this cup with his disciples remember in Mark chapter 14 verse 25 Jesus said truly I say to you I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God Keller says of this statement that when Jesus announces he will not eat or drink until he meets us in the kingdom of God, Jesus is promising that he is unconditionally committed to us. Keller explained that in ancient times, when someone would say, I'm not going to eat or drink until I blank, they were making an oath. And so the fourth cup of the Passover will be fulfilled when we finally sit down at the feast with Jesus in his kingdom. And then We will share that fourth cup together with Jesus in a beautifully renewed relationship with God. But again, Jesus and his disciples did not appear to share that fourth cup together at the conclusion of the Passover feast uh, that we observed in Mark chapter 14. Instead, after the third cup, we read in Mark chapter 14, verse 26, that after Jesus and his disciples sung a hymn, They went out to the Mount of Olives. I have from my Beth Moore notes, which as a side note, in thinking about it more, I actually think um, these notes are from Beth's Bible study, Jesus the King. Oh my goodness, Jesus the King. No, Jesus the one and only. (laughs) Jesus the King. Uh, She wrote a book, a Bible study book called Jesus the One and Only. And I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty... Confident now that I've thought about it more, that I got these notes from uh, Jesus the One and Only. That Bible study, which uh, is a very good study, by the way, if anybody's looking to um, to do some more in-depth Bible study on their own. But anyway, I have here in my Beth Moore notes uh, that traditionally every Seder or Passover, uh, the celebration ended with the latter half of the halal which is Psalm chapter uh 115 through psalm chapter 118 and beth explained that it was very likely that Christ and his disciples sang from these psalms uh, uh, as they went out to the mount of olives so to close today uh, i want you to picture this Jesus knowing his blood i was just thinking today um, this is real. He had a real physical body like us. This is real. His body was really broken for us. This was his real blood that was spilled for us. I think sometimes um, we can just let it be so spiritual that we lose that connection um, with the human flesh and bones of Jesus, his his actual blood, um, And so I want you to think, I want you to picture this, Jesus knowing that his blood is going to be poured out to ratify the new covenant of our redemption. Having finished the Passover with his disciples and heading to the Garden of Gethsemane where he faces uh, the horror that he will face, Jesus sings a hymn. He sings. And it's very likely that Christ and his disciples sang from these psalms. So I'm just gonna read two of these four psalms for you today as we close. So please just hear the words of these songs. It's gonna take a few minutes, but I want you to really try to consider all that Jesus had experienced and all that he was about to experience and the wonder that even so he sang. And his words were most likely some of these. This is from Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul, gracious is the Lord and righteous, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple, when I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call in the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. And then from Psalm 118. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that, I ha- that you have answered me and have become my salvation. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So thanks for listening again this week. Next week, we're going to be reading chapters 15 through 17 of Tim Keller's book, Jesus the King. And out of the Bible, we're going to be reading uh, Mark chapter 15. So again, that's three chapters out of Jesus the King this week. Uh, chapter 15, chapter 16, and chapter 17. Uh, but it's only one chapter uh, out of the Gospel of Mark. We're only going to be reading Mark Uh, chapter 15. As always, if at any point you forget what we're scheduled to read this week, you can always check it out under the resources section of my website, amyonthehill.com. Also, as always, uh, please feel free to get in touch with me if you have any comments or questions this week. Thank you again to those of you who have reached out. It is so encouraging. Uh, to hear from you a lot of you actually sent me funny comments about that sentimental but also kind of creepy children's book love you forever um, it's funny to read what you guys thought about that if you don't know what i'm referring to you're gonna have to go back and listen to last week's episode of the podcast to to hear all about that but anyway you all kept me laughing a lot uh this past week so thanks for that Okay, uh, so that concludes our podcast for the week. I'm already looking forward to next week, but for now, as we close, I'm again going to speak a benediction over you from Numbers chapter six, verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.